0: Oh, the Midwest summer. You know how it wouldn't be that bad if it weren't for the humidity? Well, we will never know because it is always so humid. And honestly, even without it, we all know it wouldn't be much better. We're rewarded for living in a place that freezes our lips in place all winter by having our faces melted off during May, June, July, August. And yet, something in the not-so-far-away sky makes it all worth it not the sun making your whole body feel the way your tongue does when you sip the coffee too early no not the trees waving in the breeze or the fresh cut grass that's the reason you take allergy pills all year round no you hear that bring on the brain freeze popsicles slushies and of course ice cream but this This is a big girl podcast. We're all grown up, and so are our desserts. So today on Abby Eats St. Louis, we are sucking up some of the best boozy frozen treats this town has to offer. We'll talk about how we got our favorite alcoholic ice cream partially thanks to a crock pot left on a porch set. Like, who does that? Midwesterners do that. Midwesterners (laughs) do that. It's amazing. The experience, or lack thereof, that led to a renowned craft cocktail destination.
1: I worked at Buffalo Wild Wings and poured beers for a short stint, but besides that... I you mean, know, no it's...
0: offense or anything, but that's
1: zero <laughs> no. percent. I know, it doesn't.
0: <laughs> and why taking a break from their stuffy office jobs gave the rest of us the best kind of summertime happy hour. I, I tell everyone, I could not have followed my dreams and have done this in any other city. These are some of the coolest people I've met on the podcast so far, pun intended, but also deserved. You are going to love them too. Grab a spoon and raise a cone because St. Louis is so much more than frozen custard.
2: Sure. Did wow. people hate me when I ask for samples? No. It's part of the experience. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely.
0: Standing behind the counter at Clementine's Naughty and Nice Creamery, I decided to put that to the test. This is our
2: gooey butter cake ice cream. This is our most popular ice cream. It's my
0: favorite thing that yes. you guys have here. And then
2: this ice cream. I'm going to have you try. This is our chocolate coconut fudge. Yes. And this ice cream is the one that we won the best vegan ice cream in America with, that flavor.
0: Wait, that's vegan? Yes. It sounds like one of these, like, fake infomercial things, but I seriously would never have known that that was fake. I know, <laughs> it was I one. know, right? It's amazing. Yes,
2: that's so good. So this is a fun one. This is my front porch mint. And I started making this. Um, I grew all of the mint on my front porch when I started this. And then it was such a popular flavor. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Um, that I started, I, I got beds in the Lafayette Square Community Garden. And so I was growing all the mint in there. Um, and then we started partnering with uh, Food Roof at Urban Harvest. Yes, yes. And they started growing mint for us. So, you know, we're kind of, it's no longer grown on my front porch, but I really like the name.
0: And I don't mind if I do. Go ahead. Dory, <laughs> I can get my taste later. I was going to okay. say, this is one of those moments where I'm so glad it's Abby eats St. Louis, not Dory eats St. Louis. Mm. <laughs> it's so good to get to your dream job because I think I'm working mine right now. <laughs> Tamara awesome. Keefe is the owner, founder, and flavor temptress at Clementine's. Seriously, flavor temptress is her official title because yes. hashtag yes. company culture. Sexy. A little sexy, a little edgy,
2: kind of fun. It always gets a chuckle. Like it It's a great conversation starter if I give someone my, my business card. Yeah. So
0: it's but fun. It's fun, but it's one of many titles you've had that maybe weren't as... Uh, <laughs> Sexy, I guess. Very
2: true. Tell me a little bit about your
0: journey to become the Flavor Temptress. Well, I
2: did over 20 years in corporate America um, in my last gig, my last real job, I I, I say, when I worked for someone else. I ran a $70 million business for Abbott, um, and I was a senior brand manager. So that was my last kind of big title. and.
0: In so many ways, Tamara has that classic girl boss story. The first woman in her family to go to college, she worked her way up, climbing that corporate ladder, kicking butt and taking names. I had my dream job. You had your dream job and then... Or I thought I did. Well, how did you realize it wasn't your dream job? Because I know as, especially as women, you know, you think you get to that certain point and that's when you're supposed to be satisfied, when you're supposed to be happy and just living that corporate life right
2: yeah well you know it was interesting because I I'd made it I had this amazing job I had huge staff and I was running this huge P&L you know I managed a p and I ran this huge business and from the outside it looked like I had this like super glamorous incredible life I was traveling all over the world and I was always gone um, and I just got really lonely because the higher you go in corporate America the lonelier it is yeah. and I was always gone. I was always gone. And literally, I was sitting at Lake in the Ozarks with a couple of girlfriends one morning having coffee, and I just like broke down. Like, ugly cry, broke down. And they're like, oh my god, what's wrong with you? We knew something was up. you Because I really pushed for like this girl's weekend, because yeah. I really needed those connections.
0: You needed that tribe.
2: Yeah, I needed my tribe. And I just kind of broke down. And I said, you know, I'm miserable. like. This is not what I thought my life would be I'm 38 years old I have no husband I have no children I live in this big house I never see my friends and I've never I'm never home I was in hotels more than I was at home yeah and so I just was you know miserable and upset And my girlfriend turns to me and she goes she kind of starts laughing <laughs> Who laughs at your girlfriend when you're doing the ugly cry, right? That's so mean. I know. But she's, like, laughing at me. I'm
0: like, you must have, you have a very ugly, ugly cry.
2: Oh, it's an it's <laughs> ugly cry. Well, and I'm like, why are you, la-, you know, laughing at me? And she's like, you know, you should quit. I'm like, quit what? She's like, quit your job. And I'm like, you don't quit corporate America, especially not where you come from, I, where I come from. Which is? Which, you know, I come from really humble beginnings. Um I worked really hard to get where I was. I'm the only person in my family that ever went to college and beyond. Um, That's just not something that anyone in the right sane mind would ever do. Yeah,
0: it's a hard thing for anybody to go through or feel like has to be a decision that comes to them, but then I can see what you're saying. You actually put the work into getting where you were. And I busted my ass, can you say that? You can say that, we're on a podcast. Oh, I You can say whatever we want. I love it, I
2: love it, I love it. Um, Yeah, you know, I I busted my ass. I didn't start college until I was 25, so I was a non-traditional student. You know, I went to college. I worked two and three jobs, and I got my bachelor's, and then I got into Oxford, and then I went to Oxford, and then I was doing consulting, and then I decided to get my MBA, and so I put myself through business school, and so I worked really hard in my life to get where I was, and so the thought of quitting was, like, deafening almost, like, I couldn't, totally comprehend it and so kind of in the next few moments I said what would I do and my other girlfriend looks to me and she goes you know you're always complaining st. Louis doesn't have good ice cream you're always bitching our neighborhood doesn't have an ice cream shop and that is your hobby and passion and that's what you love doing more than anything why don't you do that you work in the food industry, you know how to do it. You're always saying, well, if I did this, I would do it my way, this way. Or, you know, we always say that if I had it, you know, my choice. If only
0: everybody thought the way I did. Right. This is how it would be done. Right, yes.
2: right. Um, and I was like, hmm. It's not is like running down my face. Of course. Um, and then I was like, hmm. And then my girlfriend, she's like, well, what's the worst thing that could happen? You fail? OK, well. You know, I'm highly employable, right? I can't go get a job anywhere, maybe not at the same level, but I could do it. And uh, literally that weekend, me and my girlfriends wrote my business plan, my marketing plan, put together my financials and my PowerPoint deck.
0: And two weeks later, I quit. So you made sure ducks were in a row, and then this crazy idea that your friend just threw out there, you said, "Well, you I can know, it. It, Thinking back,
2: I had this amazing... Accomplished group of women around me who I respected and I trusted, um, that were incredibly brilliant and smart. And I thought, well, if they believe in me, I can believe in me. We are making memories every day. You know, this ice cream is the happiest food product on earth. Yeah. Right? Um, We never have an unhappy customer. Um, We talk about the magic threshold. And literally, you will see people outside, like walking up to the building. They have their purse and they're like burdened with life. You know, they kind of come in like this. Literally, they open the door and they step over that threshold and their whole body opens up, their face opens up, they breathe it in, they smile, and like instantly their life is better because they know they're gonna have my ice cream. And that is like incredibly gratifying Um, and a beautiful thing to like see and do every day and then hear you know people say, Oh my god, this is the best ice cream I ever had.
0: It seems like you get to give people on a smaller but just a very important level the same kind of experience you had where it's leaving the sorrows at the door and then coming in coming to ice cream. I mean they don't say go drown your sorrows in a bowl of kale salad (laughs) right (laughs) for a reason, right? Yeah. Yeah Clementine was the name of her grandmother's best friend. A beautiful, silver-haired lady who always fascinated Tamara. She always said she'd name her daughter Clementine one day. Well, now she has three babies, all named Clementine, a fourth location opening later this year, and more than 60 employees helping her raise Clementines far from her California roots. You know, you're not from St. Louis. No nope. Most of our St. Louis success stories have some kind of St. Louis ties, but it was your corporate job that brought yep. you here, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, and when you were first kind of, checking out the scene in St. Louis, Mm -hmm. you noticed that there wasn't good ice cream. What else did you kind of notice? What was your impression of St. Louis before you became as embedded in it as you are now?
2: Sure, um, it's actually a a great story. Um, So when I was working for DuPont at the time, and when they said, hey, there's this amazing opportunity that we would like you to, to look at in St. Louis, my answer was no. I was from Southern California, I lived on the beach, like I had, I was an Orange County girl through yeah. and through right like <laughs> oh, I wasn't different. <laughs> I wasn't going anywhere and if I did have to go somewhere I wanted Chicago or New York or
0: some um, you know well-known big city a city that you could <laughs> tell your friends that you're living there or moving there and they yeah, would just understand it might be comparable or whatever yeah. so it took my, half a year and I a lot of pressure to get her that, to even consider moving months. to St. Louis
2: so literally I came to St. Louis kicking and screaming I did not want to move here wow. I was I like I kept my hairdresser for the the first few months in California and I'd fly back to get my (laughs) hair done. Like I was not gonna stay here. You were committed to not being here. To not being here. Um, And and quite honestly, I didn't even really know where it was on the map. I know it was somewhere in the middle. Um, So I didn't really know anything about St. Louis except they had this arch thing, right? This arch thing. This arch thing. We do have that arch thing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's actually really cool. Right. so, so literally I came here kicking and screaming, but within six months I found my one true love. And that's the city of St. Louis. And I will never leave. I totally fell in love with this city. There's so much going on here. Midwesterners are friendly people. Um, your tax dollars are at work. You have free museums and the zoo and the science center and so much programming in the city. Like your tax dollars actually go to work in this city. Yeah your cost of living is ridiculously cheap compared to the rest of the world, where like you can be a young couple, live on one income, start a family, buy a house, go on vacation, save for retirement. That is like unheard of in this country. St. Louis is like this hidden gem. If you're into the music scene, they have great music scene. If you're into the arts, excuse me, there's an amazing art scene here. If you're into food, there's such a cool food scene here. If you're into tech or startup, like St. Louis has all these amazing things going for it. And I just like fell in love. Like I had no idea. Luckily, I really believed it. I moved into Lafayette Square. Gorgeous neighborhood. And it was amazing and people were out and it was walkable um, and people were kind and introduced me to other people. And so I made friends so easy here. Um, and I really believed because I moved into the into the city, and I just got to experience what the city had to offer. And like things would happen to me, like I'd be traveling for like ten and a half days, mm-hmm. and I'd come home, and there'd be a crock pot full of chili on my front step with a note saying, "We noticed you've been traveling ten and a half days, and figured you wouldn't want to cook. Leave the dirty dishes out on the step, and we'll get them tomorrow."
0: Like who does that? Midwesterners do that. Midwesterners that. do that.
2: It's amazing. <laughs> And you know, if it was snowing, you know, they'd call. Hey, we're going to go to the grocery store. Do you need anything? We know you don't like driving in the snow, because I didn't really have any experience driving in the snow. And so it was just things like that kept happening. And I, I, I loved the company. I loved the opportunity. Like it was just, I, I, was surrounded by all these amazing people. And I, like, I really did fall in love with St. Louis. And I thought, wow, this is a place where people are supportive of each other. They're kind to each other. Neighbors are really neighbors. Um, and there was so much to do in the city, right? That people don't talk about enough. Um, so yeah, so that's how I kind of fell fell in love with St. Louis. And then I did fall in love after I found my soulmate after um, I was here a little while. But but yeah, St. Louis is this like really cool and magical place. Um, I, I wish more people who were from here could recognize that because someone who came from an amazing place, not you know in Southern yeah. California, to come here and fall in love with this place you know, we should have so much pride in our city. It's not so cost prohibitive that you, you can't do those things. And to be able to, you know, grow your wings and have people help you get off the ground and fly, that's like incredible. I'm, I'm always like so thankful to St. Louis because I, I think back to like my journey and starting the business and how it happened and how people came out and they called and before my store was open, they called and I was decided to do free delivery around the city of St. Louis. And people would call and I would deliver one pint of ice cream or pints yeah. of ice cream. And it was crazy that December, I ended up hand delivering 1,500 pints of my ice cream around St. Louis. And then in January, it was 1,700. It, like, it went on social media and word of mouth and it was amazing. But people were telling me, we want you here, we want you to do this, we want you to succeed. And that was like, that was so powerful for me right? Because I was taking this huge risk yeah. um, and, and people showed up and they still show up. And there's, you know, every time there's a line or customers in the store, I'm like so grateful still and I'm It still kind of hits you. Oh, yeah. it, it still does because, you know, in just four short years, you know, Five now.
0: Five went on our fifth year. Yeah,
2: It's kind of amazing.
0: So I have to call you out because um, people will not be able to see this if they're listening on the podcast, but you got a little teared up there when you were talking about (laughs) St. Louis. I've just got to narrate that part of it, but I think that something that I don't want to be lost in your story is yes, it's easy to say she lived the corporate dream and realized that she wanted more, so she opened an ice cream shop. I think that that's oversimplifying your story a little bit if somebody were to just take that away, because you still are clearly success-driven. You could have just opened a casual ice cream place serving casual whatever it was, but no, you serve some of the best ice cream that people around the country have ever had? You know, you win awards, and you now have. Are, you're opening a fourth location soon, right? In Maplewood, right? yeah. In Maplewood, I mean, this is. That's about a new location per year, just about. I mean, would you say that you're still kind of have that success drive in you that you want to?
2: Yeah. 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 You know, well, you know, at first don't be apologetic. No, I think no, no, it's no, good. no, no. Yeah. I I do. I think it's innate in me. Yeah. But I think in the beginning, I was really just yearning for probably one ice cream shop. I had this romanticized notion that I'm going to open this ice cream shop, I'm going to get married, I'm going to have a baby, I'm going to raise it around the ice cream shop. Kind of a very simplified view. Uh And then kind of once I got into it, I realized I had something really unique and really special. And then because I was from the food industry, I know what the big companies put in their food products. I know how they make them. I know how they cut corners. And so. I wanted to make something different and once I realized that I did have something really unique and different and uh, you know we we got open and and then we had four and five hour lines that never stopped at our Lafayette store like all summer like down around the block like it was insane and I was like oh my gosh if nothing else I have to open another store to reduce the lines. yeah Um, and And there
0: are always lines and there's still still lines at every store store. yeah yeah
2: yeah. so it's kind of funny Um,
0: but then I think my
2: natural tendencies, you know, I built brands and I did marketing for yeah. over 20 years. Um, so I think that's in my nature. I'm really good at doing that. And so I put my, my own strengths and skill set to work. Um, and then from a product perspective, I just knew I wanted to make something different than what was out there. Yeah. And I knew it could be done because I'd seen a few other people make really, really amazing ice cream on the West Coast. And I said, you know, I feel like St. Louis, because we're also a flyover state, right? People don't know the great things that we have here. Mm-hmm. And so once I started winning awards and things, I was like, okay, I was really proud that I was putting St. Louis on the map Yeah, for something.
0: So we know that you love nice. You, that's why, what you brought you to the Midwest. Yes, yes. Tell me about Naughty. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes, so Naughty came about in a very interesting way. One of my restaurant uh, bar owners, approached me one day early 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 on way before my shops were open um, and said hey I need you to put some liquor can you put some liquor in this ice cream flavor and I said no because it doesn't work and he was like can you just try you know I want to do something different and this was like a couple years ago when like nobody had boozy shakes like nobody was doing it and so he was like pushing me and I said oh okay I'll try it but I'm like but don't get your hopes up, blah, blah, okay. And so, like, later that weekend, I think I was sitting around thinking, well, there really hasn't been any innovation in ice cream since Dippin' Dots. Right. And I was like, well, how much could I, or how'd that work? And, you know, I came from the food industry, and so I have access to the best food scientists and chemists and product developers in the world. Which is
0: what it takes for something like this. Yes,
2: and so literally I, you know, I reached out to my core group of friends who worked in various different areas (laughs) of the scientific field, and I just started asking questions like could we do this, what if we did this, and coming from the food industry, I had way more knowledge than the average Joe about new technologies that were coming out in food and, and ingredients, different things that the average person wouldn't know yeah and so I just started asking questions and someone well, maybe what if you try this and, we, and so I ended up with kind of a core group it took us about six months and we started you know seeing some results with doing this and then this and they were like wow wait a second I this this works and this is something really special so they were of course we all worked for big companies at the time, or they, they still did, I didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're like, you gotta go to a patent attorney. Yeah. We have to patent this. And so I went I went to my um, patent attorneys, and I said, okay, we need, to, we need to patent this. And they were like, great, but you do understand if you patent this, you're gonna open it up to everybody. What do you mean by that? So when you file a patent, mm-hmm. it protects you, but you basically have to open it up and tell the world how you do it. But then they protect you legally for seven years Got right it. so as a small independent person right you know that leaves me open to all the big commercial people figuring out or right. looking at how to, how i did it and then they could go duplicate and they have clearly way more money than me and way more attorneys on staff Right? <laughs> and so i was like oh so actually it was my attorney who said you know i would seriously recommend that you actually keep this as a trade secret because then no one will will know how you do it.
0: So is that how it stands right now?
2: So that's how it stands right now. Uh, It is our trade secret process for infusing alcohol into ice cream.
0: And so, give us a real quick science lesson on why that's so difficult. I've tried to make frozen rose popsicles, and I know that alcohol doesn't freeze easily, but give us a quick little like rundown of why this is such a
2: scientific thing. Sure, it's the alcohol depresses the freezing point so it won't freeze, right? That's why you can keep a bottle of vodka in the freezer and it never freezes. And so, that is just simply the way it is. And so, in order to do something different, you have to do something different, and that's all I can say about it. Right. <laughs>
0: I kind of like that though. It's interesting, and you—it's really taken off. I mean, you it, were saying that nobody was doing it before. Now, while a lot of people are doing it, you have things that do that are liquid already—milkshakes and smoothies and uh, slushies and things like that. You don't still really see like the ice cream. Like because they can't do it. Yeah. And
2: you know, I always like to tell people, and they'll be like, "Oh, I went to so and so place, and they had." I'm like, "It's different if you most places who now do it." Um, they either sprinkle it in, so there's hardly any in there, so it doesn't really matter and you can't taste it. Or they're using a flavor, right, that's not really liquor, but people don't understand that they just read a word and assume it's there, right? Um, but us, ours packs a punch. It's really, really strong. And we can do up to 18% yeah. in our ice creams. And we don't do that with all of them, but of course, because it really it's about flavor and what tastes the best, you know? Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely uh, change, I'm definitely changing the ice cream game for sure.
0: Have you ever gotten drunk on your ice cream? No.
2: Uh, because it, the lactose in the ice cream is gonna upset your stomach far more than the alcohol will. You'd have to eat that much of it.
0: Oh, okay, so even that, it'll still, like you keep it in check then? Yeah, you, huh. you know, one kind of offsets the other. So what is it then, why do we want alcohol in our ice cream? I mean, I, I know why I want alcohol in my <laughs> ice cream, but you know, why do you think this that's, resonates with people? Because I think that's, you know, those are favorite things for
2: people, right? People love their, their booze and they love their ice cream, and when you bring them together, you're like, woo, yeah. you know? It's this awesome thing. It's fun for parties, and um, you know we don't serve to anyone under the age of 21. Um, But now it's become a thing. So all these 21-year-olds always come in on their birthday with all their friends, and they're so excited, and they're like, "Here's my ID. Can I have some ice cream now?" (laughs) Like so, it's like it's turned into like a big thing now, where. You know, all these kids want to
0: come in on their twenty-first birthday, and it's super exciting for us. And now you have, instead of bringing your ugly tears to your girlfriend's night. That's right. You have boozy ice cream, and I'm sure yes. you're much more popular. I am very popular,
2: <laughs> and I never have to cook another dish for any
0: dinner party for the rest of my life because I always bring dessert. Tamara couldn't have done it without her friends. Neither could the guys at Narwhals, Brad Merton and Brandon Holton. Yeah,
1: we're both uh, Parkway West guys, so I mean, we met each other in uh, middle school. And yeah, I mean. Been been friends since then, but yeah, so I mean we both also went to Mizzou, Uh, so that's kind of where I got started with Pickleman's and kind of get involved in that side of the industry. That's
0: Brad who got his CPA buddy Uh, Brandon to... to join him in the restaurant world shortly after graduating college. Two dudes walk into a bank trying to open a sandwich shop in the middle of a recession. Sounds like the beginning of a really bad joke, right? Well, it turns out opening Pickleman's Gourmet Cafes in the St. Louis area was just the beginning of a delicious partnership
3: with the franchise. It, it's it's great, especially for people that usually just want to invest in and kind of have somebody give them the answers. And, you know, your job as a franchisee is just to take the concept that's given to you and to execute it to the best of your ability to staff, to train, to order, to promote and, um, you know, you're executing a a different concept that you know and i mean brad and i always you know we want to have our input on, on a bunch of stuff i you know uh i think that narwhals and where this came from was it's obviously so much different than a sandwich shop right but a lot of the same basic principles still apply i mean customer service and uh cleanliness and i mean all the all the the other things that go into, I mean, it's just, it's still retail, it's still hospitality. It was just, uh, it was something that we just, we wanted to do, I mean, who hasn't really wanted to own a bar with one of their best friends, you know, and it was kind of like, it's not something that everybody probably should do, it, but, you know. but it's kind of like a dream, you know, and uh, and we decided that we wanted to pursue it, and um, so. We did, and, and I mean, here we are almost three years later and getting ready to open the second location. And
0: That's going in at Streets of St. Charles, yeah, off Fifth Street. Kind of it's opening any day you
1: know, now. Says, like Brian says, you know, who doesn't dream of opening a bar, but how can you do it differently than just, you know, being the next bar? So, yeah, we, we felt there was an opportunity with the frozen cocktails to, like, do them a little bit differently and maybe, like, the perception of what most people think, because the frozen cocktail is being, like, overly sweet or like syrupy or like, you know, just Mai Tais and Rum Runners and those types of things. It's like, you know, first and foremost, we're thinking of like craft quality cocktail. And then we're just doing it in frozen form.
0: This, like in the name. Right?
1: Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, we have a full kitchen downstairs, you know, our, our kind of, our motto is, you know, thought for, thoughtfully crafted, you know, so we take a thoughtful approach to everything we do and we make. We don't want to take any shortcuts. And, you know, the nice thing about it is we do all of our hard work, you know, during right now. You know, now is not our busiest time, but it's like we're down in the kitchen, you know, we're making all of our purees, our syrups, our batching. And, you know, at night when we're busy, the machines do all the work. So we're able to execute, you know, our product fast and efficiently, but not compromise any of our product standards and give out a, you know, a, a cocktail that's just as good that you'd probably get anywhere else in the city. Yeah,
0: that's one thing that does out about everything you get here it tastes like even if it's just the person behind the bar pouring something from a machine you can taste that it had more steps than that and yeah. it's not the overly sugary sweet stuff that it like get from a movie theater it just happens to be spiked right like, you get
1: halfway through and your stomach
3: starts to hurt Right, we have one drink that's like no sugar I mean our gin and tonic our biscuits gin and tonic is like the opposite of everything that you would think of for a frozen drink you know for that reason like I've we want people to be surprised when they come in here. Like, a lot of people come in and they have no idea that, like, one of the foundations of the entire concept is, uh, you know, everything is made from scratch. No food colorings, no, you know, to give it a cool, if you see a cool color behind the bar, like, Prickly Pear margaritas, got this amazing color. It's like, that's cactus fruit that's giving it that color, not a bunch of food coloring. Like, no, no high fructose. But people come in here and maybe don't have any idea that that's one of the foundations of how this got started, and I think, uh, you know, we just, we hope that we're surprising in a lot of ways to a lot of people, and, um, and the process of how we make the drinks is, is one of the ways that we do that, so. Yeah.
0: so I'm picturing, like, two buddies sitting there being like, hey, we should have a bar, and then you're trying to come up with what's going to make you different. Did you have ideas that maybe didn't stick, like, other concepts that you thought <laughs> you'd move forward
1: yeah. with? Oh, yeah. well, we, we almost opened a uh, barber shop okay. <laughs> and that would have been a franchise and that was something we were entertaining because we, we we didn't know what we wanted to do next because after pickleman's i mean we were happy with pickleman's and you know we liked what we were doing but like you said earlier, i mean there's just a lot of moving parts you know running a pickleman's or running a franchise and it's like is it sustainable for us to keep opening these and uh you know we, we just kind of wanted to try something new and different ourselves too and kind of you know See what else was out there. So I mean, we we tried to think outside the box in a lot of different ways, and I mean, I'm sure we thought of a million other things. But the the one that really I think yeah. we kind of went down the road of was a barber shop. I mean, it was a franchise, and I don't even remember the name of it now. V's V's, V's, V's barber, shop. barber shop. Like old school, like sitting in the yeah. classic chairs, like guys straight razor shave. It. Yeah. So we flew down to Phoenix and visited with them, and uh, you know, great, great, we, yeah, company. It was, it was a great meeting. We had a good time down there. Got a good shave and a haircut. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, and then like soon after we came back and I'm not even really sure what happened, but it was like, let's open a bar. And then like then we just kinda of went full steam and just kind of like it just it really kinda it, it
3: start it kinda started overnight, but you know, I mean we we did. We threw about and around a bunch of ideas like, you know, what's what's next for us? And and uh and for whatever reason when this seed kinda got planted, it just it, it started, seemed to make the most sense. The ideas for us. started just flowing and things like that and, and I think, you know, Part of your question was like, you know, did you ever, I mean, as far as like how this even got developed, we had, we had before, and this is before we could like sign a lease or do anything, like we didn't know, and we have to have like a concept before you go too far. Right. And uh, so we, uh, we bought one of these machines, which was not cheap. We put it in Brad's basement and we started like working on stuff, you know, and, and making a frozen cocktail is not just like, you don't just Make a regular cocktail and throw it in there. Like you have you to adapt good the right. Re- yeah. <laughs> well, so it's not a blender. It's actually we, we don't add any uh, ice to any of the drinks. Oh. No, the machine freezes it itself. Huh. Yeah. So, uh, which is why you know the product that comes out is so much different than you can yeah. make just on a blender. And if you even like take that and you just freeze it like a block and then you throw it on a blender later, it won't be the same. Huh. It doesn't reconstitute the same. But uh, anyway, I mean, Brad and I would get together a Lot and we would try all sorts of different stuff, and um, and not everything would work. We dumped a lot of money down the drain, if not thousands <laughs> of dollars worth of stuff, just down the drain because we're like, you can't just make a small little thing of you it. You need like, a starting point. I think this is good, and then you got to freeze four gallons, and then you're like, yeah, this, this didn't work at all. The funniest one of the funniest ones was when we put in sage we were tra- this was the strawberry basil strawberry basil is one like it's our flagship now it's one of, the it's first one of our most we made. it was, it was one of the first, first ones time we time. made yeah. and uh, but the first time we tried to make it uh, we didn't realize we'd bought a bag of sage from restaurant depot instead of basil which i don't <laughs> know how you can
1: we t- and we're like right, this, this doesn't taste good this does not taste good and <laughs> oh so, yeah, we in the bag, we're like, Thank
0: God you guys figured it yeah. out. Yeah.
1: <laughs> strawberry yeah. sage will never make the menu. <laughs>
3: That's a mistake you don't make twice. But uh, yeah, the, the R&D process took, took an awful lot of time before we were ever even ready. And from that point, even from the point where we opened and we thought we had a really great menu to now, I mean, strawberry, basil, lemonade, banana, Dave, and the mudslide are the only three that are on now, I think, from our original.
0: Did you have any uh, bartender background or any kind of
3: mixology knowledge how did you how do you come up with we spent a lot of time yeah. at bars <laughs> not not <Yeah. laughs> not any like
1: formal background behind them i mean i worked at buffalo wild wings and poured beers for a short stint but besides that I you mean, know no it's, offense or anything but that's <laughs> zero percent chance. no i know it doesn't <laughs>
3: it's it's a, a lot of appreciation of of fine cocktails yeah. and uh having a taste for it yeah and yeah. But I mean, besides like home bartending, it, it's kind of one of those things
1: where, you know, you, you just kind of self-taught in, in a lot of ways. Like some of these drinks aren't meant for everyone, you know, it might be for more kind of the craft cocktail drinker. Uh, so again, you, using kind of these these drinks that people know and recognize, it, it I think it kind of allows them to stay within their comfort zone, but also try things that they might not other, otherwise try. Um, and I think that's kind of exciting for us to be able to kind of educate people and get people to try Mezcal. And they try it, and they're like, wow, I guess I realize I like Mezcal. Like, I didn't know that. Uh, so it's always kind of fun, and just, again, being able to kind of help the guide the customer, because there, there's a lot of interesting stuff out there, and I kind of like pushing certain things. And it's like, I, I always try to get people to try the gin and tonic, because on the menu, like, it's, it doesn't sound like the most exciting, but I'm like, you just gotta try it, like, it, it's. I think it's very unique to us, and uh, a lot of people are kind of wowed by it. they like, oh, I wasn't expecting that. I don't like gin. Well, I guess you do like gin.
0: Yeah. You guys <laughs> are St. Louis, guys. How do you think that narwhals would have done in another town, or how do you think being part of the St. Louis scene has impacted your business, especially because when you right yeah <laughs> a really
1: good frozen cocktail yeah i mean it is kind of ironic because yeah we're not the best climate for it i yeah. mean there's plenty of other uh cities and destinations in, in the u.s or where you know like a beach that would be more suitable towards our concept and you know kind of through when we were kind of coming up with the brand and the idea it's like we did a lot of like market research and like Google search and just to see what else was, was out there. and just didn't seem like what we were doing was being done quite to the level that we wanted to do.
3: It's home. I mean, and, yeah. you know, I, we grew up here, love the city. I, I probably never loved the city more, you know. I mean, it's like it, it just keeps getting better. And uh, you know, thank you to, to everybody that has uh, gotten behind us here.
0: Were the town fully credited with getting behind the ice cream cone? We made a cake so gooey and buttery, you literally couldn't call it anything else. We like our beer cold and it turns out our desserts colder. And the fact that the people are the coolest. I I tell everyone
2: I could not have followed my dreams and have done this in any other city. Really? No, because St. Louisans like support our independent businesses and support each other. Um, It's just this, it's this really cool magical place so accessible for so many things um, and I think that's important for people who want to take risks and who want to follow their dreams and who want to try something. That's
0: just the cherry on top. Ooh, la, la. Ooh, Ooh,
1: la, la. La, la.
0: Abby Eats St. Louis is a five on your side production. I'm your host Abby Larico. Our executive producer is Dori Olmos. Theme music is by Olivier Renoir, Jérôme Fabi, and Pierre Dubost. Join our conversation on Instagram. We want to hear from you, really. What's your dream boozy ice cream flavor? Where's your favorite place to grab something ice cold and refreshing? Let us know about the other food news you're curious about or other episode ideas you have for us. Be sure, of course, to follow on Instagram, put subscribe on the podcast, leave a review, rate us, all that kind of fun stuff. Until next time, seize the plate.